But here's a little passage of scripture where Paul is replaying in his mind and recording in a letter to the church at Corinth of how he first came to them. That's recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. It tells us this chapter of Paul's adventures there in Corinth. And it was a very eventful time, a year and a half it tells us, Paul spent at Corinth, which was quite some time. In fact, it might be the longest amount of time that he spent in one place planting a church. He traveled from place to place and sometimes only staying a few weeks. But he, he felt it necessary to stay in Corinth for a year and a half. When he first got there, he, he went to the Jews as his custom was. He went to the synagogue to persuade the Jews. And when he was turned away, the historic event took place when Paul shook, as it were, his raiment and said to the Jews, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go to the Gentiles. And from that moment on, Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. It took place there at Corinth. But he tells at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he, he reestablishes how he came to those people at Corinth. And he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, he says, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He says again in verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You see, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that when he first came to these people who were such an unruly people, such a sinful people, such a wicked city, when he came to them, he didn't come with big, fancy words. He didn't come trying to prove anything at all, although that's exactly what the culture in that day loved and longed for, to be entertained and have their ears tickled with smooth talkers. We're living in a very similar day and age, aren't we? A very similar society that loves to have their ears tickled, and Paul would not please them. He was not interested in preaching what they wanted to hear, but he says, I came declaring unto you the testimony of God. This ought to be the message of every gospel preacher and of every Christian who wants to see the lost saved. Declaring the testimony of God. Well, in, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians in verse 6, Paul writes, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Jesus Christ is God. And so the message that he brought was the testimony of Jesus Christ. He spoke about the life of Christ, the miracles of Jesus, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of Jesus to save and change lives. I wonder tonight, would you look here for a moment, I wonder, do you know the power of Jesus to change lives? One of the things that sticks out so powerfully in my mind from this past winter retreat is that little expression, we only know as much of God as we have experienced. We can talk about God and read about God in books and get our theology all, get all of our ducks in a row, but have you met him? Do you know what it is to have your sins washed away? I was thinking today about that beautiful 
thought of forgiveness. Thinking, pondering on forgiveness and why was it so important? Why was it? Uh, we talk about it all the time and sometimes if we're not careful we make forgiveness the goal. But forgiveness was never the goal. Fellowship and relationship with God, communion with God is the goal. But in order to have communion with God, in order for you and, and myself, you and I, who are wretched sinners, in order for us to have communion with God, our sin must be dealt with. You know what it is. Every once in a while, we, somebody hurts us. And that relationship is broken. Sometimes it gets so bad you don't even want to look at that person. Sometimes the bitterness there or the hurt there grows so deep that you don't even want to hear the person's name because there's such tension between you and that person. And if there's ever to be a friendship there, then something has to be done about that tension. And can I tell you, there's more than just tension between you and God tonight. You have sinned against him. You are his enemy. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. And that is why you cannot see God and that is why God is not looking at you and hearing and answering your prayers because you are at odds against one another. And so something has to be done. Forgiveness is so special because forgiveness takes away that tension, takes away the thing, the strife that has come between you and God. And the only way that God could be just in forgiving you is by making sure that sin has been paid for. That's what Christ has done. And this is the message that Paul brings. And he says in verse number two, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't come talking about philosophy when he went to Corinth. He didn't come talking about all the problems in the world. He didn't come talking about all the governmental issues in the world. He didn't come talking about conspiracy theories. He came talking about Jesus and Jesus crucified. And if you and I want to see people saved in this day in which we live, we must be determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you're watching tonight and you a longing to be saved is found in Christ. You're longing to know God. You're longing to know the purpose of life. The purpose of life is knowing God. This is life eternal. That they, that's you and I, might know thee, that's God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life. This is your purpose. This is why you've been created. And Paul says, I determined not to know anything, not to talk about anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you, look what he says, in weakness and in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I wasn't a flowery, sophisticated speaker, although he was a very clever and intelligent man. No, he wasn't trying to impress anybody with his intellect. He wasn't trying to impress anybody with his theological knowledge. He wasn't trying to impress anybody with how much he'd learned from a library. But he came and when he spoke, it was in demonstration. He showed people, as he spoke, he showed people 
that God is real. He spoke in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. See, there are many people who will not come to Jesus Christ tonight because it seems to be so simple. Seems to be so easy. And it seems to be something to which the ignorant people of society lean upon. And so therefore they will not come. But it goes on. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, look at verse 9. As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Can I ask you tonight, do you love him? Do you love God? Oh, I I love things. I love to study about God. and I love going to chapel and and I, I love listening to meetings. Do you love God? Because I, the average natural eye, has not ever seen what God has prepared for those that love him. I've seen a lot of beautiful things in my short life, and I'm sure that many of you have seen many more beautiful things. But of all the beauty that I can behold upon this earth, there's not one eye that has ever seen what God has prepared for those that love him. Of all that we've heard, of all the wonderful stories of history and all the marvelous things we've heard and the beautiful singing we've heard and the wonderful, majestic stories, nothing compares. Nobody has heard. Neither has entered into the, nor has ear heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. Do you know what that means? Nobody has ever imagined what God, nobody could ever dream up with the greatest imagination on earth. And I've got six children with the biggest imaginations you can ever imagine. But nobody could ever imagine what God has prepared for those that love him. Do you love him? He writes, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things Yea, the deep things of God. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. That's where Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 64. He's quoting this prophet. And what a chapter this is. In fact, the very first book, first verse of Isaiah 64 is a verse that sometimes we pray. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, tear the heavens that thou wouldest come down. We sometimes pray that prayer, praying for revival, pleading with God, oh God, please come in our midst. But the way that it's being prayed in this passage is not necessarily 
God would come in revival, but that God would come in judgment. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, the enemies, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down. The mountains flowed down at thy presence. And many believe that the prophet is speaking about that time when God came down upon the mount when Moses was there. And the whole mountain shook at the presence and voice of Almighty God. For since the beginning of the world, verse number four. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear. Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. It seems to be a little bit of a different understanding because Paul says, For them eye hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But here it says, For them that wait upon him. So which one is it? Has God prepared marvelous things for those that love him? Or has he prepared marvelous things for those that wait upon him? Both. Because you wouldn't wait upon him if you didn't love him. The evidence that you love him is that you're waiting for him. Can I ask you tonight, are you waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready? Anxiously awaiting. Not worriedly, but as if that butterfly in your stomach feeling is present longing, anticipating his return? Are you waiting for God to come? It goes on. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth. We have in the next verse a description of them that love God and that are waiting for God. Maybe you're watching tonight and you're not quite sure where you stand with God. Maybe you're not quite sure. I don't know if I'm one of the ones that love God and I don't know if I'm waiting for him. Here's a little description. Because the prophet writes, For since the beginning of the world, men, is not, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him. I love that. God is going to meet us one day. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. Three marks of the one that's waiting for Christ's return. Three marks of one that truly loves God. He's one that rejoices. Are you one that offers your praise unto the Lord? Are you one that's able to rejoice in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the turmoil? Do you remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 16 and verse 11? In thy presence is fullness of joy. And so a mark that you love God and a sign that you're waiting for God is that you are a joyful person because you are in his presence. You're spending time in his presence. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth. And 
worketh righteousness. I wondered, are you working righteousness tonight? Whilst you're waiting for the coming of the Savior, are you doing that which is honorable unto God? Are you spending your days and your time in laboring for the Lord? I'm convicted every time I speak to certain people. There are some people that I talk to and at the end of the phone conversation I think to myself, that's someone who's, who's doing all that they can while they can. Just today I was on the telephone with a very dear friend and was blessed by my conversation, chomping at the bits. Can't wait to get out and preach the gospel. Looking for every opportunity as an elderly per person. Oh, the mark of one that loves the Lord and that's waiting for the Lord is that they have joy, they rejoice, they work righteousness in those that remember thee in thy ways. Can I ask you tonight, are your thoughts stayed upon Jehovah? Do you think about the Lord? Do you remember him? Do you think about him or are you so consumed with present circumstances, so consumed with your own little life, so wrapped up with your life that you don't have time to think about God. He goes on. Behold, thou art wroth. God is angry. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance. We shall be saved. Behold, thou art wroth. God, you're angry because we've sinned. And in those is continuance. And we shall be saved. There's a couple of thoughts regarding this verse and this expression. Behold, thou art wroth. God is angry because we have sinned. After all that he's offered for us and after all that he's done for us, in Isaiah 5, he says, what more could I have done? God says, what more could I have done for you? And yet some continue in their sin. And we shall be saved. I wonder this evening, are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a but in verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. There's a problem with all of humanity tonight. We are all as an unclean thing. We don't really wait for him, naturally speaking. We don't wait for God. We aren't joyful people. We're grumbling and complaining people. Naturally, we're not working righteousness. We're working iniquity. And naturally, we don't remember God, we remember ourselves. We all, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's interesting to me, the people who, who typically are furthest from God are the ones who think that they're the most righteous. And the ones who are nearest to God are typically the ones who have a hard time finding have a hard time living the way that they ought to, have a hard time noticing the righteousness that they long for. You remember our Savior's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He starts that sermon with the blesseds, the beatitudes we call them from the Latin, uh, Latin word to be blessed. And in Matthew chapter 5, he gives us those 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can I ask you, are you hungry? Are you even hungry for it? Do you even desire to be right with God, to do that which is right? Because naturally we are all unrighteous. Our righteousness, that which we think is righteous, is filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you feel like you just keep drifting farther and farther away from God. Maybe you feel as if you want to be close to God, but your sin keeps driving you and pulling you away like a wind that's pushing against you. And there is none that calleth upon thy name. And there's none that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. This is the problem of humanity. Nobody, nobody's born naturally seeking God. Nobody is born naturally wanting to call upon the name of the Lord. Nobody stirs themselves up. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to get a hold of God today. No. No, we are in trouble. Grave trouble. But there's hope. But... Now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. Now, God, oh, for a long time we lived in sin and degradation. For a long time, our habitation, our habit was a habitat was a cesspool of iniquity. We lived in the pit. But as David quotes in Psalm chapter 40, he, God, reached way down, way down in that pit of sin, and picked us up and set our feet upon a rock. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Riding from a past tense, Looking back, oh, now, now, oh, Lord, thou art our Father. Can I ask you this evening, can you say honestly this evening that God is your Father? Well, somewhere between there, somewhere between the fact that they were all unclean and all of their goodness was as filthy rags and, and they were being blown away by their iniquity, somewhere between the place where they would never call upon God or stir themselves up, and somewhere between there and now, when they could say, God, thou art our Father, something took place that they could now say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but you're my Father. What happened? What happened that anyone, whether it be Jew or Gentile, could claim God to be their Father? How is that possible when our sins, our iniquities have come between us and God 
and we are an enemy born, an enemy of God, born across enemy lines. What happens when the enemy of God becomes a child of God? I'll tell you what happens. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Have you received Jesus Christ? Have you humbled yourself as God humbled you and brought you to your knees? Has God opened your eyes to the reality of your sinfulness? Has he shown you that all we like sheep have gone astray? That none of us are good? Has he shown you that? Or do you still think, are you still trusting in your own self-righteousness? Do you still think that you're going to heaven because you're a good person? Or have you been shown that the only way to move from enemy of God to child of God is by receiving Jesus Christ to as many as received him. John chapter 1. To them gave he power because we don't have any power to become a child of God. You can't make yourself a child of God. We are powerless to become the children of God. We can't wake up and say, today I'm going to be a child of God. Today I'm going to change my name to a child of God. We have no power. But Jesus has all the power we need. And if we would only receive him, if we would only lay hold on the Son, I'm reminded of the little story, the little story you've maybe, maybe heard me tell it before of the dirty little street boy grew, grew, grew up on the streets in London, no home, pitiful little child, rags for clothes and eating from the rubbish bin, searching for scraps. During the, way, the reign of one of the earlier kings of England, the little boy made his way to the very gates of Buckingham Palace and was determined he was going to see the king. Tired of living on the streets and tired of living in poverty. And he knew if he could just get to the king, the king would be able to solve all his problems. The little boy mustered up all the strength and, and confidence he could and he marched right to the gate, there to be stopped and pushed aside and thrown aside by the guards. The little boy stood there crying, weeping. He had tried over and over and couldn't get past the guards. As he stood there weeping, the tears ran down his dirty little face and he felt a hand grab hold of his hand. He looked up at a well-dressed, nice-looking young man. And the young man said, why are you crying, child? He said, I only wanted to see the king. The young man took him by the hand and marched him through the gates. And as they approached the gates where the guards had just a few moments earlier thrown the little child aside, the guards straightened up and cleared a path as the young man marched straight through the middle of the guards, straight up the steps of Buckingham Palace and into the very throne room of the king. You see, the difference was a few moments before that, the little boy tried in his own strength to get to the king, and he failed. But he held the hand of the king's son. And holding on to the hand of the king's son granted him access to the king's presence. The key to you and I being a child of God and knowing God is found in the hand of Jesus Christ. 
If you try in your own strength to get to God, you'll never make it. The guards of God's law will stand and bar you because of your sinfulness, because of your filthy sin. But it's the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that grants us access into this presence. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay and Thou art Thou our potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech Thee, we are all Thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burnt up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? We now have the people of God crying out to God on the basis that they are God's children. God's people. And today we can cry out to our God in heaven, knowing that I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard, and neither is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him and are waiting for him. And because we believe that, we cry to God for mercy for our present circumstances today, if you're a child of God. If you're watching and you're not a child of God, before he comes back in judgment, before he rends the heavens and comes down, oh, that you would receive the Son. Oh, that you would kiss the Son, as we looked at in the Psalms last week. Kiss the Son. Make peace with God. If you are at odds with God tonight, the only hope of peace is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, a beautiful verse, the very first verse of chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God tonight? Only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, are you walking with God? Can it be said of you that you are those that rejoiceth? You're waiting for God, you love Him, you're working righteousness, and you're remembering God and His ways. Are you remembering God in your ways as you go? I pray that we will be those who aren't just happy to call ourselves the children of God, but may we be those who love Him and wait for Him. The New Testament writer says, for all those who love His appearing, there's a crown waiting. Do you love his appearing? May the Lord help us tonight. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before thee this evening and thank thee that there are such rich rewards. We thank thee, Father, that thou art our greatest reward. The greatest reward imaginable is being able to see Thee, Lord. To be able to look into the face of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to hear those precious words, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. Oh God, we are assured that we'll never enter heaven because of what we've done or earned, but only because we have been made thy children through Jesus Christ. I pray for the one tonight who's not there yet, who still is weeping outside of the gates, longing to see the King, but is frustrated, brokenhearted, because they have tried time and time again in their own strength. I pray tonight they might meet the Son, the only one who has power and authority to grant them access into thy presence, Lord. May they be escorted this evening. May they be brought from death unto life. May they who were poor become rich through Jesus Christ. Oh, we thank thee for our Savior, for all that he hath done and all that he hath offered unto us. We thank thee, Father, for what thou hast prepared for us, thy children. Help us in turn, Father, help us to love thee to love thy appearing. Help us to earnestly wait and look for thy coming. Prepare us, we pray. We ask not just for things to be prepared for us. We ask, Lord, that we might be prepared for thee. Help us, we ask, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close our meeting tonight by singing hymn number 698. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head, our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed, now there's no load for me.